1: Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference After all, they are your mates for a reason Let's all take a moment to talk more than football
0: Hello and welcome to the Love Strangers A Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen Proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club
1: Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside Beautiful play! That is
2: that! What a good shot! Meshira, goal! 4 now that's Steve White! Catch Mitchell! It's another goal! Incredible Hubble. <laughs> Taylor has scored! And that surely means it's the Premier League for Swindon Town now! But first,
1: goal by Jan Piotron! Austin going yeah. I will win this league anyway. Richard,
0: he's hit it, it's Cradley! Yeah! Oh, it's Hello Rob. Hi, how I am very well indeed, and thank you for agreeing to take part in this podcast, and I hope you and your family all well during this lockdown.
2: Yep, no, always pleasure.
0: Yeah, how are you finding it?
2: Um, Yeah, it's different, obviously, um, you know, being locked away and that, but I suppose once everyone's adhering to the rules and that, hopefully we can uh, come out of this sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, quite right. I mean, at the time of recording, we've been told that Swindon are going up. So congratulations on that front. We don't know if we're going to get trophies and medals yet. I don't know if you know any different, but I think the EFL are ratifying everything on Wednesday by the sounds of it. So this changes your day to day, surely, because you've been training and preparing to go back to training. And now, well, you can't go on holiday. So, So what on earth are you doing now?
2: Trying to get as much sun as uh, in the back garden as possible.
0: <laughs>
2: um, you know, it's, I don't know, it's strange. I think, you know, common sense is kind of prevailed and I think it is kind of the only way possible, if that makes sense. like, if someone gets it, then, you know, potentially many people could get it. Um, it's such a crazy scenario to be in um but you know over the course of the season we've proved that we are the best team and if it does happen on points per game then you know it is what it is and you know we move on and you know we we're just delighted to achieve our goal that we set at the start of the season
0: yeah yeah i completely agree with that and there's this little thing of me like you know, I I think I'm quite rational. I'm not a hugely tribal football fan in the sense that I, you know I don't have rose tinted glasses. If I see Swindon have done something wrong, I think I can I can see that most of the time. But when I when I find myself going well, you yeah, know, of course it's logical. BPG is absolutely the way forward. I always think to myself, everyone's just thinking, yeah, you're saying that because you're going up as champions, and I'm like, no, no. If if this was last season and we were mid table. I think I'd feel the same way. and If I was rock bottom, like, say, Southend are in League One, as a fan, I don't think I'd be like, well, this is an outrage. We have 10 games to lose or to try and get out of. Do you know what I mean?
2: We are where we are for, you know, all the good good results and the good play we've done. And teams, you know, are are down the bottom for, you know, not winning games. And I think people are where they are because that's, you know, because of their ability. Um, and it's unfortunate that you know it will have to come to an end this way but you know if we was in the in the bottom uh, we'd you know just take it on the chin you know, like i think everyone has to
0: before we move on to the usual low strangers stuff one of the regular questions that i get at this stage is during this lockdown what have been watching on netflix or amazon or disney or apple or any other tv network what are you watching
2: At the start, I watched the new Money Heist and then, do you know what, I've been busy doing, well, trying to do DIY. I'm not the best at it, but I thought I'd try and uh, change jobs for a couple of weeks and do a bit of that. So, to be honest, I haven't really watched a great deal. Um, The missus has been watching a load of rubbish, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Okay, let's talk football then. So, As a Londoner, who did you support as a kid and who were your childhood heroes? Uh,
2: West Ham through and through, as all the family are. Um, To be honest, as a childhood hero, I don't really have many that stick out. Obviously, you've got your David Beckham and kind of Wayne Rooney a little bit. Um, But as a kid, I just really enjoyed playing football with my mates on a Sunday morning. That's all I look forward to during the week. So... Yeah, not really anyone that stands out for me.
0: So you're Dagenham area, so that is West Ham country, isn't it? It is. I was, when I was doing my research for this episode, you know, it always strikes me how one, how young you are and maybe how old I am when I was just looking up the sort of players that you would have been watching when you were a kid and some of them are still playing.
2: I think football has evolved so much since when I was a kid to now it's like a bit surreal that I'm playing and there's probably kids that were my age that you know, are now watching. Um, yes, I find it a bit not weird, but different, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah, I mean, did you go and watch West Ham much when you were younger or, or were you sort of uh, priced out or were you playing a lot or anything like that?
2: Uh, no, do you know what? I can count on one hand how many times I went and it was three times. Once, the first time, I think it was was my dad, the second time with my uncle and the third time, I think it was a little family day out, but yeah. Oh, I'm to be honest, I, I think everyone's devastated that they got rid of Upton Park and moved to the new stadium. And I don't think it's ever been the same since.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people just assume everyone's going to football all the time, but it really isn't the case, is it?
2: Yeah, no, it's not. Um, you know, it's especially in normal life with a normal family, you know, people be working all week, even weekends, and it's difficult to get to games and I remember, you know, match of the day on a Sunday morning was, you know, when everyone used to watch the football together. If not, then it would be recorded or, you know, just try and start up late on a Saturday. Try and watch as much as you can before the game on a Sunday morning.
0: You would have been on right (laughs) at the end as well, wouldn't you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes an on-match of the day.
0: Yeah, during the Championship seasons, of course. Yeah. OK, so what was your development towards Brighton? Because you go to Brighton at an early age, and we'll get to Brighton in just a moment. But what separated you from the rest? Was it just you were playing all the time? I mean, I'm always interested because you guys, everyone that I spoke to recently, always make it sound so easy to go from playing junior football to playing academy football. What was what was your journey?
2: A bit of a strange one, really. Like, I just played on a Sunday morning, like I said, trained on a Thursday night. Um, I played for three teams as a kid. Um, and yeah, that was it, really. I just just really enjoyed it. You know, my parents always used to just say, go out there, give 100%. And most importantly, make sure you enjoy it. Because if you're not enjoying it, what's the point of, of doing it? Um, so, yeah, that was the main things. And then luckily enough, I got, you know, picked up. And, yeah, I've just been, to be honest, it's, it is very lucky when you do get picked up. And, you know, I'm in a fortunate position. So, um, yeah, like, just in, keep enjoying it and, uh, yeah, just thankful, really.
0: Why did you go to three different teams? Was it because you know you were too good for some of them, or was it politics? Because junior football, man, it, it's crazy.
2: <laughs> um, one of them was because of politics, <laughs> and then one of them we sort of like got to an age group, and there was not like a different thing, so we merged into a different team. And then the other one was just well, the second one was politics, and then and the third one was just a complete change of, of team. Yeah, it's always,
0: so, there's always politics i know. <laughs> never known an industry like that when it comes to junior football there's always politics okay so were there any other teams looking at you at that stage or was it just Brighton
2: no well to be honest I didn't even know they're interested it was basically I was about I think it says on the internet 12 doesn't it because I know a few people have said it to me before but I was about 15 my coach at the time was working for Peterborough because like, his son used to play on a Sunday morning as well. So he was the one that was taking like the coat, like the managers or whatever you want to call it, like taking the team. And uh, he just put me forward to one of his friends who worked at Brighton and, and sent me for a trial. And, you know, luckily it just went from there. Uh, other than that, to be honest, I wouldn't have a clue what I'd be doing now if it weren't for, you know, getting in there or even sending me for the trial
0: maybe DIY?
2: <laughs> I don't think so, not that, <laughs> that it's gone over the last few weeks.
0: <laughs> 15, and I've spoke to a lot of players about this, 15 sounds about right to join the academies, a lot of people go in younger, but of course when you, when you link up with a bunch of kids at 15, a lot of them have known each other since they were much younger, was that the case for you?
2: Yeah, so when I first went to trial, you know, I didn't really know who to sort of mingle with or whatever because they were all like known each other from a young age, like you said. And you know, I thought it was quite hard to fit in at first. But you know, the, the boys at the at the time were you know, ledge and welcomed me with open arms. And uh, you know, we had a we had a great time at, at that age and in the youth team.
0: What position are we talking about at this stage for you? Are you are you playing right back, left back at that stage, or are you playing various places?
2: I started at left back. And I played a bit in midfield at like 15, 16. And then after that, I played left back, right back. But I'd say the majority of the time, until I was probably, I don't know, 20, 21, I played left back the whole time. And then the past couple of years, I've been moved back to right back, which I do prefer. But... <laughs> you know, is, at the end of the day, you know if the Gaffers are playing goal, I'd happily play goal.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Again, when I do research, I don't just look up the player; I look up the coaches. I look up what's happening at those clubs at the same time. And the, the name that's coming out a lot when I look up Brighton and their development is Vic Bragg. Would that be? Would that be right? Was he a major player in in your development?
2: Yeah, Vic is still working there as we speak, and you know I can't speak highly enough of Vic. He's He's an absolute legend. Um, you know, he was so welcoming. And obviously, I moved away from home when I was 15. So, you know, him uh, and Martin Hinchelwood, Steve Brown and Simon Rusk over the sort of U-team period.
0: What separates them from other coaches? Because when I talk to people about development coaches, they're either really, really good or really, really bad, what what makes a good, other than making you feel welcome and things like that, what else do they do to really sub? Because, you know, Vic's been there since the mid-90s, for example, so it's pretty much his thing. In a world where people get moved on so readily, what does he do that separates him from the rest?
2: I don't know, really. it's just He's just such a nice guy and knows the game inside out, has that sort of like flip side to him you know when you need to be told you get told but just all-round person such a top guy and he's got everyone's respect you know throughout the club and anyone you know that's worked with him will say the same about him as well
0: yeah your coach is in the under 18s or the development I would say to start with is Simon Ireland is that right
2: uh yeah it was a bit of Luke Williams but then Simon Ireland come in and I had him believe for two or three seasons
0: so we'll start with luke williams then because obviously there's a big swindon connection there there's quite a few people that that are associated with swindon during your time in the development team so luke williams huge reputation um at swindon it went a bit sour because of the 2016-17 season but he had a massive reputation everyone that i've spoke to says how great he is is that the same for you as well
2: yeah, I absolutely love working under him, you know, his, his uh, philosophy and style of play and, you know, even his training sessions are unreal. So, yeah, just I really enjoyed my time and working with him, you know, every day, to be honest, when I had the chance to.
0: Is what Luke Williams does as a coach, is it very much based on what Brighton were encouraging at that time within their youth development?
2: Yeah, I think it comes from the top. At the time, you know, there was a very uh, sort of like possession based team and, you know, keeping the ball from the opposition and tiring them out and, you know, attacking down one side if it weren't on come, you know, come out and attack down the other side until all the gaps started opening up. And, you know, it was uh, thoroughly enjoyable to play in.
0: During your time with the Brighton development team, Swindon Lynx, you've got Jesse Starkey, you've got Brad Barry, and you've got uh, you've got Rowan Ince as well. Um, what was it like going through the ranks with those? Because Brighton, it's funny because when I was looking at the sides that the players that you played alongside, there wasn't a huge amount. Who have been lucky like yourself to continue into the football league? Quite a lot have have gone into non-league or are nowhere to be seen anymore, unfortunately, or they've gone back to back to the countries where they they were raised. And it seems so difficult, but at the same time, Brighton at that time were bringing in a lot of players from like Chelsea development as well, weren't they?
2: I thoroughly enjoyed my time, you know, at Brighton and coming through the youth team and development team and that, and you know. There was so many lads that come and go and uh, you just gotta be sort of lucky but you know thankful that you've managed to you know get through it and uh, you know start making a career for yourself and you know it's unfortunate that people miss out and you know don't make it but it's such a cutthroat business that you know it is what it is out there and it's just a shame that not everyone can make it. Um, but you kind of just have to crack on with the card you dealt with, I guess.
0: Yeah, fair point, fair point. And out of the people that you played alongside at Brighton, are there players that you just think, how on earth did you not make it in the Football
2: League or above? Yeah, yeah. There's, a, I don't know. To be fair, that there is quite a few that are still out there and playing. Now, off the top of my head, I know, like you said, Brad Barry is... Uh, right. Bro, Jess he's at Worthing, but yeah, like there's a few others that you know are, are still out there playing, but um, yeah, it's just a shame that, like I said, not everyone can make it. Um, you know, it is what it is at the end of the day, I suppose you just have to crack on with it.
0: Yeah, you had quite a productive spell with the development leagues, your captain. How do you find like the Premier League development system? Is it a good thing? Is it, does it Does it need a bit more competition? What, what do you think?
2: At the time, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I thought it was like a big test for myself and I'd probably speak for the other lads as well. But kind of now looking back on it and coming through that and going into the men's game week in, week out, it doesn't really prepare you for what you're going into. So you sort of like just step into the fire when you come out of that and you know, you've know got guys you know bigger than you, stronger than you and it doesn't really teach you how to play the game, um, you know, and in the men's football, you know, you've got people, uh, mortgages to pay, kids to look after, you know, in in the Premier League, sort of like, or development team, it's kind of, unlucky lads, you know, will work on that and go again, you know, next week, but that is part of the development, but it comes to a stage where, you know, you've got to get, sort of, a winning mentality, and winning is the only thing that matters, Um So I guess it needs a little bit of work, but at the same time, it is their development. So, yes, uh, I didn't enjoy it particularly towards the end, but, you know, it's part and parcel of learning about football, I guess.
0: Yeah, I find that nowadays, and this includes your time in development football, that football clubs are like herding players. And for example, you, you make your debut what, year are 21, which for the Football League, that's quite late really now, isn't it? And is that frustrating that you you can't go on? I mean, we'll talk about Oldham in just a moment, but it just seems, although you've played a lot of football since then, that's a very, not old age to get going, but it is. it does feel like you may have lost a season or two as a result of that.
2: Yeah, so sort of a season before that, or a season and a half or whatever, I've was- I was hoping to, you know, go on loan even, you know, if it was below conference or whatever the standard was, I was just happy to go and try and men's football and test myself and see if I could um, actually cope with it. Obviously, that wasn't the case. Um, and I just had to keep my head down and keep grafting and working hard and giving 100%. And thankfully, you know, the time come at the age of 21, um... And, you know, once you get given that chance, you just want more and more of it. So, um, you know, maybe I was a bit late, but I'm just thankful I got given the chance and, uh, you know, progress from there, really.
0: Yeah, at the start of the 2015-16 season, sorry, at the start of the 2016-17 season, you're within the first team quite a lot. Under Chris Hewton, was that always the plan during pre-season? Like, were they were ha- were they having a stronger look at you at that stage? Maybe because your contract was running out, or or were they looking at you to see if you should go out on loan? What what was happening there?
2: Um, I'm not too sure, really. Like, I know, you know, lads always used to get called over and chain with them, and you know, the gaffer at that time would have a look and he'd like to take a look at everyone and see who's developing and stuff like that. Um, but I think when I went over with him, I'd done quite well. And I think he, you know, took a little bit of a liking to, to what he saw. So, um, you know, I'm just thankful that he kind of, his trust in me when I, when he gave me the chance. And uh, yeah, just to be honest, thankful that he, he did give me the chance at the time, to be honest.
0: Yeah. You made your debut early on in that season, which was a, a promotion season for Brighton. It's the year that they got to the Premier League and you're right in there. You're playing in all the EFL Cup games. You make your debut in a four-nil win over Colchester. You get minutes away at Brighton in the league, which is your only league game for them, but you come on at nil nil and you get a winner at the end, don't you? They score a penalty with a couple of minutes ago. Happy days. It seems like you know how to beat Oxford as well because you play against them a couple of times in your career so far and you've beaten them a couple of times. So that's promising if next season we have to go and deal with that. And then, of course, you play the EFL Trophy, which, as I've said to a previous guest, that it's a bit of a nuisance for fans. But again, it is... I can see why it's good for the development teams because that gives you your chance to play 90 minutes against lower league opposition, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, exactly. Um you know, I was you know quite like I said before thankful that McGaff at the time gave me then chances and opportunities to not only develop but progress and show show him what I was uh, kind of capable of and uh, you know he, he kind of kept me for an extra six months um, during that you know promotion push season in the championship. And, uh, you know, watching and learning off some of the lads that were there was, you know, unbelievable, to be honest. Um, looking back on it now, it's kind of bit surreal that, you know, I was training with people that I would never thought I'd even, you know, say hello to or, you know, get their autograph. It's a bit cheesy, but it was uh, a bit surreal, to be honest.
0: Yeah, who, who were the players that you looked up to the most during that, that time at Brighton?
2: Just, like... Bruno. Um, even in previous years, there was a guy called Vicente. Yeah. He was unbelievable. You um, had uh, Anthony Knockart, Liam Senior, and just, I could name loads, but it was just, to be honest, I never thought I'd even, you know, get to that stage and just train him with them. you know, day in, day out it was um, a real learning curve and great for my sort of uh, football development.
0: And Chris Houghton is a manager. that really is quite well liked across the board really isn't it isn't he? he's the sort of manager where when he does unfortunately lose his job the rest of the football sort of
2: community goes oh
0: he's all right he would have got it got it round. what was what was it like working for
2: chris Huton? yeah i thoroughly enjoyed it you know he he had his way of playing everyone knew that everyone knew that inside out we used to you know work on it you know daily bits and bobs here and there and uh you know, he was thoroughly liked throughout the club and, like you said, throughout the footballing community.
0: So you must have worked alongside Paul Trollope as well during
2: that time. Yes, about six to eight months, I believe, something uh, like that.
0: Ex-Swindon, of course, and son of a Swindon legend. Again, and, uh, somebody who has been linked to the Swindon job quite a lot over the years. Do you think he, he did very well at Bristol Rovers? Do you think there's a place for him or do you reckon he's a good coach as opposed to manager?
2: I really enjoyed like his sessions and that, so... Yeah, I don't see why um, why he wouldn't be a good candidate one day or a good manager. So, yeah, we'll have to see what the future holds, yeah. And, of course, Colin Calderwood was there as well. I got on with Colin quite well, to be fair, and every time we've played against him since when he was uh, manager at Cambridge, I spoke to him a few times and said hello and that and spoke to him on the phone. So, yeah, uh, he was uh, good in a way to help my development as well. So, yeah, it was all good.
1: Hi, I'm Colin Calderwood and welcome to the Loath Strangers
2: podcast.
0: Oldham Athletic. So you go up to Oldham on loan initially, don't you? Um when you're going up to Oldham on that loan spell, are you looking for a permanent move at that stage or are you just looking for minutes?
2: No, to be honest, I I just wanted to go out and test myself against, you know, men and having the chance to you know be selected on, or even play week in week out and test myself with, against men you know and uh, thankfully the opportunity came up and uh, I kind of you know grabbed it with both hands straight away and didn't even didn't even really look at where they was or what the situation was or anything like that so I was just grateful to to be given the opportunity, to be honest.
0: Yeah. I don't like Oldham Athletic because they broke my heart in 1993 when they scored a late winner at the Swindon's first game in the Premier League at home was against Oldham. Shows you how long ago it was, right? And uh, <laughs> I was right in line with Gunnar Halle, the uh, the Norwegian international, as he crossed it in for a last-minute winner. And I've never really forgiven Oldham Athletic since then. And, and I don't know if I should admit this, but every time I've seen Swindon play... Oldham Athletic, we've not yeah. won, and that includes two games again with you in the side as well, and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But but Oldham Athletic are a, a funny one because, you know, I mean, I, I saw this tweet recently. And somebody just listed off their positions over the last 10 years. And a lot of people say how stressful it is to support Swindon. But to be an Oldham fan, 16th, 18th, 16th, 19th, 15th, 15th, 17th, 17th, 21st, 14th and 19th. That's a long decade, isn't it? Yeah, it's
2: it's probably not been the best decade. (laughs) Yeah, it's just unfortunate, really, you know some teams go through that but then you know maybe another decade later they'll be back where they was so it's just how uh, sometimes it goes to be honest
0: given the situation that we're in nowadays with with the virus and lockdown etc teams in greater manchester and the surrounding areas if you're not one of the big hitters like manchester united and manchester city you have to wonder how on earth they exist and i'm not just saying this about olders athletic it's such it's such a you know, there's so much football going on up there and it's testament to their supporters that they still keep going every year when, you know, when we're always talking about football as a brand now, they stay so loyal, just the same as Berry fans did, just the same as Rochdale and Stockport fans do. It's just, that's what's so great about football fandom that no matter how tough it is on the pitch,
2: they, they keep going back. To be honest, when I first moved up there, Obviously, I didn't know the area at all or anything like that, but I was amazed at how many football fans and clubs there was in such a close perimeter. Like I just said, it was it was unbelievable. Like down south, you know, you got obviously the London clubs and the London derbies, but other than that, you know, you got Southend and Colchester, Dagnham and Redbridge, and then other than that, you know, there's there's no one in sight. So fair play to all the fans and you know, supporting who they support and sticking with them. You know, the Oldham fans and Rochdale and Berry, they could easily go watch United, uh, Man City, Liverpool's not too far, uh, Bolton. So there's there's big teams around there, but fair play to Infineo. Sticking with our local team and coming out and showing the support that they always do. Yeah,
0: well, John Sheridan is the man that brings you to Oldham. And speaking to Jerry Yates, he's very complimentary. I believe he called him a ledge manager. So you know, I think that's good, isn't it? I mean, in my old age, I think that's
2: it's good. We did you have a good experience with John? Yeah, he's like Jerry said, he's a legend. Um, you know, I can't speak highly enough of him. And when he brought me there um obviously Tommy Wright was his assistant and then the gaffer now was there as well so that's how you know I kind of met them all and yeah like just thankful for you know Shes to to give me the chance and the opportunity and uh yeah it's just like Jerry said he's a top man
0: not huge fan of John Sheridan because he trumped us at Wembley when he uh when he beats Swindon under De Canio 2-0, that's not exactly his fault. You know, he's there to win it as well, but he always strikes me as like, as a, as a fan, he, as a dour football manager, you know, he's, he doesn't seem like the, the happiest chappy. He was a good player. I remember seeing him play for Sheffield Wednesday. Um, what what again makes these managers so so popular? What because it's it's not easy to win over a squad of individuals, and that's the same if you work in an office. It's the same if it's in a in a in the football industry. How does a manager command that level of respect?
2: Um, I do It's hard to explain, really. But he used to get on with everyone. Obviously, he's got that switch in him, like most good managers have. Like when you need to know, you get told. But yeah, it was just down to earth. You know, chatting to are. You knew what he wanted. Uh, he was fair with you, and I think that's that's quite you know a main point that whoever you are or whatever situation you are you are in at a certain club that they're fair with you and uh, you know you have mutual respect and uh, you know he was he was top man and he was led for me to be fair.
0: <laughs> so with with that in mind, when a manager is so popular, how? frustrating and almost like do you suffer guilt when things start going badly and they ultimately end up losing their job as a result of that form is it hard for you as a collective to sort of try and make things better but you know it's inevitably not gonna not gonna happen
2: yeah like we didn't get off to a great start in the that league one ca- campaign i think it was we lost was it six or eight of the first 10 games something like that um, you know, you just where, where you respect someone so much, and you want to do so well for them, and it's not happening. You, you try even harder and harder, and you know, by trying even harder, sometimes it doesn't happen. And I remember the day that you know we come in and he ordered a meeting in the dressing room and just said, "Lads, that's me." You know, thanks for everything. And you know, I was pretty shocked because you know, ten games into the season or whatever it was, that like we're getting a new manager straight away, and you know, Tommy left as well, and. It was just, I don't know, I just didn't expect it at all. But that's the real world and the real world in football.
0: Yeah, it's odd because whenever, say, Swindon have let their manager go, I'm always a little bit weary if they decide to recruit from within. So, you know, Richie Wellens is already there at that stage. And this is, again, football fan who's seeing their team lose every week. You know, you want fresh ideas and you kind of assume that, the first team coach has the same philosophies as the person that's brought them in. But Richie Willens really finds form for you and Oldham at that stage. What what did he change or did he change anything at all?
2: I think he tweaked a few things, but he just said like, you know, enthusiasm, uh, willing to run, you know, get about the pitch, give me a hundred percent. Like obviously everyone gives hundred percent, but you know you know what I mean. Um But he just wanted to get the ball down, pass it, play attacking football, create chances and just express yourself really and play with a smile on your face. And, you know, we worked on a few things. I think the first game was at home to Peterborough, if I remember rightly. And, you know, some of the football we played there and then we went on a run. I think it was winning five or six. And, you know, some of the football we were playing, um, I see a few comments from fans and that was the best football they've seen in a very long time there and uh, yeah with, with that squad I, I don't know how you know we we got relegated at the end of that season it was it was crazy to be honest
0: from from what I remember when Doyle's really doing he's doing the business in the first part of his loan spell and when it's renewed he doesn't get as many and you draw quite a lot at the end don't you it's the draws at the end that really uh that really sort of sink you, I think from from memory
2: It was um, it was quite frustrating, really, because I think in that season we never really got sort of outplayed or battered by another team. We just didn't score the goals that we deserved, and you know we made a few mistakes and conceded, and then we were drawing, and you know it was just sort of like one thing led to another, and then it was all down to the final day of the season away to Northampton, and uh, we started well, then went two-one down before half time. Then we got one back and, you know, they just sat off and they were re- already relegated and they was like, well, if we're relegated, you know, so are you. And we just couldn't get that second goal. Um, no, sorry, the third goal to win the game. And yeah, like it was just devastating. I've never had that feeling before of getting relegated and just felt so bad for the the fans, you know, that, you know, pay all their... Harder money throughout the season, and uh, you know we we kind of gave them that feeling at the end of the season. So disappointing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to sort of dwell on on the negative moments of your career, but what is the changing room like when you when you sit down? You've just drawn two two. People are probably sort of saying, "No, so and so's one, or someone's this club have done this, so we're down." What? What is it like in the immediate aftermath once you all sit down and and listen to the final words of the manager at the end of the season?
2: It's just really devastating, you know, upset. And, you know, no one ever wants to be in that situation. Um, It's just quiet, you know. A couple of people say a few things, but at the end of the day, it's not just based on that one performance on that one day. It's the whole, you know, catalogue of games throughout the the forty. Whatever games it is, 44, 46 games of the season that come down to that one last 90 minutes, and unfortunately we couldn't push it over the line. But um, yeah, it's just the whole season and it didn't go too well, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Do you think it's a real slide indoors moment for Oldham that they decided to sack or um, part ways with Richie Wellins that summer, given what we know about him and what, he's, what his philosophies are, if he just sort of listen and just do, um, and what we've experienced in Lee Two, do you think it could have been a completely different story for Oldham had they kept Richie Wellins for a little bit longer?
2: Yeah, I believe so, you know, like you said there, you've seen what we've experienced this season and the chairman here has, you know, put a hundred percent trust in the gaffer and let him build his, you know, his own team and his own players and, you know, he's done a really good job so yeah maybe they should have but it's you know their loss and our gain. so you know it is what it
0: is (laughs) it is what it is indeed and what what was what was your feelings at the end of the season did you just want to sort of like find a new club or were you happy to just see out and see what happens or is it just a case that you were contracted so you stick around what what were your feelings when when so much is going on
2: At the start, I was devastated and then, you know, you reflect on it and I went away and I was like, well, do you know what, let's try and, you know, get a a good squad together and push for getting back into League One Um, and that's what I went back to do. Um, We started off quite well, we was always in and around the playoffs and, you know, it just sort of didn't materialise as I felt like, you know, we could have done, so yeah, it was just unfortunate. I would have loved to have been able and, you know, play and uh, give it 100%, try and get the club back where we should have been kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, the next season is a mid-table season in League 2. Lots of stuff going on. But we'll focus on the pitch sort of situation. I mean, the major point of it was, I mean, it must have been the year of the Cup run, wasn't it? I don't think you you play in... The, in the big, the big game, um, unfortunately, which was the Fulham match. But this is where you have Frankie Bunn to start, and then Paul Scholes rocks up. That must have been. Yeah. I mean, for people like me, I mean, I I was raised. You know, I'm 36, so I remember Paul Scholes in his absolute pomp. Um, you will remember him from sort of his way. Changed his role a little bit more, but still a huge player um, for for this country and he he is a known we've always said it he'll go and manage Oldham one day and he almost got it apparently when Richie Wellens got it we, we haven't even mentioned that Seedorf was
2: linked to the job <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Paul Scholes turns up what was that like? Do you know what like seeing it all over you know Twitter and social media or whatever I was like no nah, surely this is not going to happen and then you know I walked in one day and uh, I see his car And I walk in, and he's like walking through the corridor there, and I was like, like sort of like gobsmacked. (laughs) You know, you got Man United and England legend, you know, coming to be your manager. Um, But honestly, he's one of the the, the nice guys, so down to earth. You know, he's relaxed and just um, down to earth, really. And just used to come and sit with you at lunch to have a chat about football and have a laugh, and you know, just um, just a, a top guy, to be honest.
0: I got a lot of time for Paul Scholes because he spent his whole career saying that he was camera shy, which is why he didn't do interviews and things like that. And as soon as he retired, (laughs) went straight into the media. It was one big 20 year long hustle. It was very, very impressive. Can't get away with it nowadays, though, can you? No, you can't. No, End up on podcasts like this. (laughs) Yeah, imagine if if Clarence Sadov turned up because, you know, previously he was linked to the job and it was it was reported that he had applied for the Oldham job. That's that's like a quintessential Swindon Town appointment from years gone by. That would have been exciting.
2: Yeah, it would have. Um, I think there was a, like a couple of people, you know, linked, you know, with big names and that. And like I said, Paul Scholes, you'd never think in a million years that Paul Scholes would be your manager. Even like growing up as a kid. So, you know, even if Sadov got it, it'd be another massive name and uh, a privilege to work under.
0: This is where, like, fan mentality, and I'm not saying every fan in the world is the same, but if you had two men presented to you as, as potential candidates, one is Clarence Sadov and one is Richie Wellins, I know the majority of fans will say Clarence Sadov without any knowledge of his coaching ability, but just because he's that sort of that. Hollywood name we're always so enticed by it and because Swindon have had you know Lou Macari we've had Glenn Hoddle we've had we've had Paolo Di Canio, you know that's that is what Swindon used to do and I think Richie Welland's success this year has shown that you know these guys that play hundreds of games in the in the football league they've got a lot to offer to the football league
2: oh yeah 100% you know if you
0: play your whole career
2: in the football league you know the game inside out in a way and you know you know players you know teams you you know from playing against them and uh why not give a young english manager a chance to show what they can do and you know you've seen managers in the past been given a chance and then they shoot up leagues and before you know it you know they're in the championship or premier league
0: But the ball didn't cross the line. Is it Sheldon Logan on the line? It certainly is. What an incredible clearance because he's actually stepped off the post that he was marking. And it goes again. This time it's in. Aidan Flint. Swindon Town have rescued it. And Brentford are on the floor in their own backyard again. You're listening to the Low Strangers podcast. Proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Well, let's move to Swindon Town now and we'll start with a very, very simple question followed by Daniel Thomas with a follow-up. It's from Nathan James, and he says, what the F were Oldham thinking letting you go? And Daniel Thomas says, how did you not get snapped up by a team in a higher division? So what was your journey to Swindon Town?
2: The end of that Oldham season, it was, you know... Uh, told that, you know, I I could leave kind of thing. So I left and uh, spoke to the gaffer and the gaffer, you know, was was like very complimentary and, you know, we, we sat down and spoke a few times and, you know, to be honest, the football that we played when he was in charge at Oldham, you know, I wanted to play more of that and it was exciting football and I just couldn't say no really and uh he showed me you know what he wanted to do and people he wanted to sign and stuff like that and uh to be honest I couldn't wait to to get down and sign
0: when this recording ends I'm going to ask you who was on that list that Swindon didn't manage to sign um but we'll we'll keep that for a little treat for myself afterwards
2: so what did what did you know about Swindon Town before you joined them to be honest not a great deal obviously I played against them twice, and I watched uh, from the bench one of the games that the gaffer was in charge of. Uh, two two, yeah, the two two. And from watching that game, I, uh, could see like you know the style of football the gaffer wanted to play and the, the players that you know wanted to get in, and uh, you know it was quite an exciting attacking team. So, you know, when I spoke to the gaffer and, like I said, what he wanted to do and achieve and, and stuff like that, I couldn't really say no, to be honest.
0: Sort of, it's a funny situation for you because I think I know what the reaction, again, of a lot of Swindon fans, the noisiest Swindon fans are the ones you always read the comments of, aren't they? And there's a lot of fans that will go, right, we we'll League 2 and we've signed this player, cool. But there will be that element of, football fan that'll say and it's always it's the thing that annoys me more than anything else really on social media within seconds of an announcement the reply is who question mark mm-hmm. and that really annoys me and I mean you guys have social media you must see that as well when you're announced do you trawl through the the comments it can't be good for you
2: do you know what some of the things I've been tagged in whether it's good or bad I kind of take a pinch of salt enough I find it funny to be honest um, that someone has got the time, the day to you know sit there and write an abusive message or, or whatever. But obviously the positive ones are, are nice to read and stuff like that. But, um, you know, everyone's got their opinion and they're entitled to do so, do you know what I mean? But it's nice to, you know, go on a pitch and, and show them what you can do and prove it wrong, do you know what I mean?
0: I think what I was getting at a moment ago when I was talking about that sort of that who when you signed I think that's been a part of your success this season is that maybe there were no expectations or maybe little expectations because people didn't really know who Rob Hunt was that because you had such a consistent campaign it's only worked in your benefit
2: yes I I suppose so yeah I I suppose if you ask kind of many football fans who who I was at the the time or even now that probably wouldn't really have the any idea to be honest with you. but you know it's sometimes it's good to go under the radar and you can you know concentrate on your, on your football and uh, on ultimately winning games do you know what I mean and helping the team whatever way you can
0: I'm trying to remember the two games that you played for um, played against winning. so one of them was the 0-0 in 2017 when we were going down that was at the county ground and we should have really beat you that day Oldham really went to just get the draw and they did exactly that I think Connor Ripley made a couple great yeah. saves that day. And the second one, and I've, this is why I bring it back to ask about it, because it was, it was another nil nil, but there was the sending off at the end where yeah, yeah. you guys have, a we have a corner mm-hmm. and you clear it and there's a counter attack. And Matt Taylor uses his experience, shall we say to cynically tackle, the uh, the player to uh, to get a sending off and pretty much save a point at that moment were you like I hate Swindon <laughs> I just
2: you robbed us the both times I've I played Swindon I don't think as a team we sort of like gave you a big threat or anything like that so it was on the back foot I'd say both games but that, that I don't know if someone had a shot or like you said it was a corner or whatever but it it broke nicely for us. And I was thinking, go on, imagine we can get a little win here in the last minute. And then Matt Taylor's come out of nowhere and absolutely swiped him. <laughs> and uh, You know, everyone in that situation knew what was going to happen. But it's the thought of knowing what could have happened if he didn't do that. Um, and I think there was a few handbags pushing and shoving and that. And yeah, everyone was a bit angry. Um, at the time. But yeah, it is what it is. And I think I would have done the same thing if I was in his position to be honest. Oh, it felt like a
0: goal and on, on the day and it,
2: you know, I, I do find those sort of um those
0: sort of tackles quite funny when Matt Taylor was just kept walking, he wasn't hanging around, he knew what he'd done, and off he goes, and all the people are squabbling, but Matt Taylor's always half halfway to the changing rooms. I I I like those moments, I gotta be honest. Even when they're against us, I do after a little while find them quite funny.
2: Yeah, I know. It's I suppose, like I said, everyone would have done the same thing. <laughs> so here we are, we're at
0: Swindon. What's your uh, initiation song? Paid the fine. Paid the <laughs> fine. Look at that.
2: Good cause. It's good cause.
0: Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's that's okay. As long as it's to a good cause. So you go out on pre-season. This is it does it does have a feeling of a rebuild this this season with, with Swindon before you sign Richie Wellens was you know the best thing about Richie Wellens is he doesn't hide his opinions he doesn't sort of say a bunch of football waffle he'll say it how it is in the sense that he wasn't happy with the squad he wasn't happy for the he said that during the season and he said that at the end and he you know his word was his bond because a lot of players left that summer so it was like a new squad how did you find pre-season did you have a good feeling that Swindon were onto something early on
2: uh, no, do you know what? Since you know, you can, you can tell, you know, as a, as a footballer, like you know, we, we we can do something. And you know, when we went away to was it Spain, I think the quality showed in the lads, and you know, the togetherness, and everyone got on. And you know, since day one, everyone just clicked. And when anyone come in new or on loan or whatever. You know the lads are welcome in, and everyone just gets on so well. It's it's quite um, yeah. I've never seen it before, to be honest. Um, but yeah, as the season starts, you know we, we play at Scunny and do well. And you know, obviously, it's a bit too early to think of anything. But you could see that everyone wanted to do really well and work their nuts off for the gaffer and achieve what we wanted to achieve. So yeah, I could I could see something sort of happening from the start.
0: Yeah, in late August, early September, there were those three games and they were against Morecambe, Leyton Orient and Macclesfield and it it just felt like it was going to happen and we hadn't hit that wobble yet or anything like that, which was just around the corner. But there was this real feeling that, that something was happening and, you know, that's the time where Lloyd Isgrove was going crazy. Owen Doyle had just started scoring and there was yourself as well who was who was an early renovation um to the Swindon lineup and i mean we'll talk about the switch at the moment but you start and your job at the start of the season is to be right back with Tyler Reed as cover was that the was that the objective when you signed
2: um well when i signed I spoke to the gaffer and he was like obviously you can play both sides and um but you're you know play right back but you know if if the case comes you you can do a job at left back so I was like look whatever you know want me to do I'm happy to to do and help the team so um like I said earlier obviously I do prefer playing right back but you know I'm happy to play left back or anywhere else
0: (laughs) we got a question here from Tyler and he does he does ask how did you become so versatile is that just relentless practice
2: I don't really know, to be honest. Um, sort of as a as a kid, I played up front. You'd never you'd never see that now because I can't shoot to save my life. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I just just lucky, I guess. Um, but yeah, like luckily it works, and uh, you know, it is what it is. To be honest, <laughs> is
0: it difficult to switch? from one week being in the right and one week from the left i mean you're a professional you deal with it something that is quite clear from this conversation is you trust the manager you believe in the manager and what's happening and so you'll play wherever if if it's for the greater good but when you prep for the season or prep for the week is it is it difficult to switch from from being a right-sided player to a left-sided player or is it just the same
2: Either way. Um, I find it quite similar in ways. Um, apart from when you get to the end, maybe one you cross with your left and one you cross with your right. Yeah. But other than that, I don't think there is a great deal of difference, to be honest with you. Um, probably just using the other foot a bit more if I'm totally honest.
0: I mean, that to me is ridiculously hard. As as somebody who was so unbelievably right-footed, and I wasn't very good with the right foot either, to be honest with you. When I was watching footballers back in the day, to find a left-footed player for England, for example, seemed to be a... or at least a left-sided player, seemed to be like the holy grail back then. But now, I guess, footballers are becoming a bit more like... They're not
2: focusing on one foot anymore. Yeah, it's... Do you know what? It was... I'm guessing a bit natural and a bit of you know practice, but I always used to you know do passing in the in the hallway of the house. My dad, when I was a kid in the back garden, just passed both feet, and he always used to say right, left, right, left. So maybe that has come into it, um, but maybe a bit of I don't know being lucky enough to being able to use both, um, but yeah, a bit of practice as well, I'd say. <laughs>
0: Uh, We are now firmly in listeners' questions now. So Zane asks, what is different about the football played under Richie Wellens at Swindon compared to what you played under him at Oldham, if there is any difference?
2: I don't think there's a real difference in the philosophy. Obviously, personnel is different. But I think it's just exciting, attacking. Obviously, you want to get the ball down and play and move the opposition around and, you know, play... With a smile on your face and just literally go out there and try and score, and, and be excited. you know what I mean? And just do that. Do the, obviously the nitty gritty side of it, but when you've got the ball, express yourself and go and enjoy yourself.
0: Do you think the Oldham squad was capable because? Richie Wellings always talks about the pitch, the change of pitch quality. He was quite sort of adamant at that what Marcus Cassidy has done at Swindon is exactly what he needed at Oldham. And maybe that's why the Oldham players weren't fully capable of doing what Richie was really looking for you guys to do. Yeah, like
2: you know, the pitch I don't think was ever great. I think half the pitch was covered by the stand and it never used to get any sunlight so one side of the pitch used to be absolutely terrible but you know, it did play a factor in trying to get the ball down and play the way the gaffer wants to play. I think a big sort of highlight of that is when we played uh, away to Portsmouth and their pitch was lovely and that was sort of like the first time uh, well, one of the first few games that we we had with a gaffer and we absolutely battered them. Um, I think Doyle scored two in that game, if I remember rightly, and yeah, we just played him off the park, and you know that that stays in my memory of, about the way we played and passed the ball around, and you know that's the way you know he, the gaffer wants his teams to play.
0: Yeah, let's talk goals then. So Joe Acklam. Asks, Do you know why they tried to take your goal away from you at Leighton Orient? Because I think Joe is refusing to acknowledge the Football Association's decision to strip you of that goal. And Christopher asks, was the crew goal a fluke? We'll start with that Leighton Orient one, because that still seems harsh to me.
2: Do you know what? It wasn't a shot to start with. <laughs> I was meant to cross it to Doyler, but unfortunately I, well, fortunately I'd I miss it somehow. And uh, obviously, it's gone in. But if it even didn't take the deflection, it was still on target and the keeper would have just caught it. So, obviously, I'm a bit bemused as well how you know, it hasn't come down. I think the rule is if it's on target. But, yeah, I don't know. It is what it is. And just thankfully, we won that game. Do you know what I mean? I, I did speak to Ben, the media guy. And I did try. And he, he said he sent an email and that. But, no, they weren't having it. He
0: sent an email. It's not enough Ben this is an injustice shameful stuff what about the crew one so you got a bit of luck with the crew one but we're having that
2: yeah no I'll I take well i take as many as I can get to be honest um but yeah I, I was at the time I was quite annoyed and angry that you know we we weren't playing our best and you know it was quite windy and I don't think we had a shot to be honest with you in that first half so you know, the ball come to me and I was thinking, do you know what, I'm going to have a shot here with a wind. And, you know, thankfully it, it took that little deflection and went in. But it was more out of sort of anger. <laughs> to be honest, I was more frustrated about how, how we were playing. Um, but yeah, thankfully it went in.
0: One of the only real negatives from the season, I guess, has been the loss of players to injury on a quite frequent basis. You are somebody who was lucky enough to not experience that much injury and Wellens kind of just sort of said you needed a break more than anything, which he has done and said he's done for several of the players. Do you ever sort of like, as somebody who stayed, who managed, was lucky enough to not get injured during that time, does that mess with your head a little bit? Because... The defence changed frequently throughout the season, but there's still your name on the team sheet. And you do you sit stand there sometimes and go, God, am I next? What's going on?
2: Um, I don't know, really. Like, obviously, it's part and parcel of obviously football, people get injured, and you know, no one wants to be that player in the injury room. Um, but that's why we have a, a squad and a good squad at, at, at the same time, and um, anyone that you know come in and slotted in done their part and you know done well um but yeah like I know it sounds stupid but sometimes me me and Jerry obviously because we live together we'd be out of the ground to like four or five or five just in the gym taking our time or whatever but then we'd be playing head tennis and just lose track of time and I don't know I don't know if that plays a part in it or what but you know, after time we we never used to get into about five o'clock.
0: Yeah, so maybe maybe a couple of guys need to do head tennis until.
2: Uh... I don't know head tennis. Mildy, the the keeper coach, he is always on it. Always. <laughs> I mean, as you say, there you live
0: with Jerry Yates, and that time is coming to an end. That is that one of the real major. Downsides of being a professional football, especially in the football league, where there's so many loans, where you build a friendship and a rapport with someone, and then you know, as it stands, he is a Rotherham player. From like a personal level, is it really sort of like, especially the way this has ended, is it really bittersweet for you?
2: Yeah, like obviously, no one knew that you know it was going to be this you know bad, and we we thought we'd you know be off for a couple of weeks or or whatever it was, and get back playing. Um, so we didn't really, you know, think anything of it. We thought we'd be back at Swindon, you know, training and you know, going back to the flat and just doing the usual thing that we do on a weekly basis. To be honest, we used to have the same routine every day of every week. And it just got quite normal. Like, and I, I think with, like where we're to, total opposites, um, we just got on our house on fire, to be honest. It was pretty weird. But I speak to him every day on FaceTime. I call him, he calls me. And, uh, yeah, I think we'll stay in contact even, you know, if he doesn't come back this season or, or next season, to be honest.
0: Yeah. More questions coming up then. So West Coast Wizard asks what are your experiences of local derbies in your career so far? And what do you think you can expect from the League One derby versus Oxford next year, if it happens? It's going to be one the fans are eager to win. So I don't know if you know this, but we are terrible against Oxford at the moment. Quite a poor run where we've beat them on penalties in the Football League trophy, but all the games that matter is in this side of the 21st century have all ended up yeah. in, in losses. Do you guys know about that and want to play Oxford? Is it just something that you just sort of pick up as you go along?
2: Well, the first bit, of my first experiences of the derby was Oldham-Berry, Oldham-Rochdale. So they're quite big derbies and, you know, it's quite fierce and feisty and that. Um, one of the best experiences I've had was i believe against berry i think we've beaten 4-2 at home um so that was a great experience in a derby but yeah looking forward to obviously playing you know oxford and and hopefully setting you know the poor record straight and hopefully you know get some positive res- result against him
0: Again, there'll be Bristol Rovers next year as well. In fact, that's one of the most exciting things. And we are going to talk in the sense that, you know, League One and League Two will exist in in the form that we know of at the moment. Because if we're going to fret over it, it's going to be a very miserable conversation. But one of the big things about getting promoted from League Two and League One is there's some real big hitters in there um, at the moment. And that is only going to motivate. And I, I, I'm really excited by what Richie Wellens could... Possibly do in League One if everything sorts itself
2: out. Yeah, like, like you said, like some of the teams and the stadiums in League One is unbelievable. Um, you know, you got your Sunderland, uh, your Ipswich, and teams like that. So you know, no disrespect to the other teams in our league, but you know, turning up to there, even Portsmouth, um, turning up to there, gives you a real you know boost and go out there and really want to do well and show what you're about not only individually but as a team as well do you know what I mean so obviously fingers crossed everything does sort itself out and you know we can get back playing safe and stuff like that but it would be a really good good opportunity for everyone and hopefully we can you know do well in League One
0: um, so two questions here Paolo with the first one is are you aware that you're rated by virtually everyone but con- constantly considered underrated and Rob Dinsey adds saying seeing as you're everyone's answer to the question who do you think is the most underrated player in the Swindon squad?
2: I'd say Danny Rose not only as a player but as like a professional like is one of the top professionals that I've seen does everything 100% you know, does his textures looks after himself properly, and as a main thing, you know you can trust him on and off the pitch as well. So I'd, I'd say Rosie, yeah, yeah. I'm
0: g- I'm gonna say it though, and I hope to talk to Danny Rose and ask him about this. But he's getting
2: up way too early, man. You got to tell him to just chill out. You know what? I I tried it, but I tried six o'clock, right, and that was that was hard enough as it is. So. Like five o'clock. I don't know how he's doing it. To be honest.
0: Yeah, I I do six o'clock for my daily exercise, and I'm I'm in that rhythm. But he's getting up just before five.
2: Come on. I know it's his time to rest as well, but I understand he wants a bit of uh, a bit of time before his whole family gets up. So <laughs> fair. fair play indeed.
0: Nathan James says, how does it feel to be the best right and left back in the division?"
2: <laughs> I don't think that's true because we've got the legend Paul Caddis. So, he, he can be right back. But, um, no, I don't know. It's just, obviously, nice to hear things like that. But, obviously, Cad's going right back, you know. Some of the, like, playing and some of the things he does in training and in the games. I think, bloody oh, yeah, hell, has he seen that pass? And, you know, every decision he makes is, is spot on. So, you know, it's been a pleasure learning off him as well. Obviously, watching him during the game and in training. So, I'm delighted that, you know, he's signed, he's to be honest.
0: But when he did turn up for the trial and then sign, were you like, "Come on, Gaffer, what's going on here?"
2: Not at all, because he's a legend. He, honestly, he's he's a top man.
0: Straight straight away, as soon as he, he entered, you know, returned to the club, you were
2: like, "I need this guy in the squad as well." His ability is a joke, honestly. He's, and he's a top man, so yeah, he, he's more than welcome. I I, I still
0: cannot understand why. Or how we had the chance. I know Owen Doyle will take all the credit for it, but there's a lot of football teams in the Brit on the you know, in England and Scotland who had this opportunity to get one of the most experienced right backs around and they didn't. I can't believe it.
2: Yeah, bro, to be honest, I, like I thought he was older than what he was, obviously. That'd be due to his hair, but um and being around for ages, but you know, I dunno how he he was without a club, to be honest. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, just it's surreal that we've got him back, and you know he's quality shows on the pitch.
0: Tyler asks, "How does it feel to be considered Mister Consistent at Swindon Town this season, seeming to not dip below seven out of ten in the ratings?"
2: I don't know. I don't really know how to answer that, to be honest. Um,
0: Do you look at the ratings on the, in like the advertiser every week?
2: No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Well, obviously, it gets mentioned every now and then, but no, like. I'd say winning a winning game of football, and that's the most important thing. So, yeah, I'm not not be really too fussed what the paper says, to be honest.
0: Yeah, no problem. Sarah B asks, so you're naturally gifted, which allows you to play at right and left back. Are there any other positions where you think, yeah, I reckon I could do a good job there?
2: Yeah, I'd love to have a stint up front, but I'll, I'd never be allowed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. It's something for the last day of the season, in the last 10 minutes when the season's over and there's about 20 minutes left, stick him up front.
2: Imagine. I'll I'll bet you I'll I'll get half a chance.
0: (laughs) How easy has it been? Or easy isn't the right word. So this season, your assist statistics have gone up considerably and you've had Doyle pretty much there to just pounce. I mean... How how has that changed from your game? I mean, as as a right or left back, are you doing the same role as you've always done in your career, or has it has
2: it changed this season? I'd say it's changed quite a lot this season. You know, the way the Gaffer wants to play is very attacking, um, and when obviously the fullback goes forward, he he has a lot of trust in the centre halves, and Granty obviously, you know, sits playing in that holding role. You know, if it breaks down to win, you know, win the ball back and we attack again. Um, but, you know, he just says, go, make runs, you know, link up and, you know, put, put crosses in the box. So, you know, I've you know, done that. And thankfully, whoever's been on the end of it, I think most of them has been Doyler. But thankfully, he's connected and uh, stuck him in the net, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Michael Brewer asks, will you be looking to stay on
2: longer with Swindon? Well, yeah, I've, I think I've got another year, you know, next season. Hopefully, like I said, we can all uh, get back to normal and, and be playing in League One. Um, but yeah, obviously, we'll wait and see after that. I'd, you know, love to stay. Um, but yeah, we'll wait and see. There's a long time before that happens. So, yeah, we'll just wait and see.
0: And I imagine that you're, you know, given world events, you're very relieved to have signed a two-year contract.
2: Yes, um, you know, I'm thankful to sign a two-year you know, deal. It's very good that they offered, offered me a two-year deal and uh, I'm thankful for that. So, you know, hopefully we can get back to a bit of normality and plan a bit of football sooner rather than later and get stuck in to pre-season and uh, have a go at League One, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Got a question here. It's one of the big ones. What's your favourite cheese? Uh, yeah,
2: probably cheddar cheese mature cheddar
0: yeah extra mature yes please um remo asks what's your favorite sandwich filler are you a sourdough bread kind of guy or a healthy
2: whole meal i don't even know what sourdough bread is to be honest (laughs) (laughs) i don't know to be honest since i've been off i've been making a lot of um toasties in the little george foreman's so they've been decent so, yeah, just uh, Warburton's white bread or a bit of uh, brown seedy bread, something like
0: that. Now we're talking in my language here. Okay, so we've got the old cheese. So, we're making, it's a Breville in my world, which is the brand. So, we're making toasted cheese sandwiches, is that right?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, it's a little bit of cheese and bean, but it's like vegan cheese because I've, I've cut out the dairy so that still goes down a treat it tastes a bit like burger cheese you get for the barbecue but yeah little cheese bean, sometimes a sausage in there the the meat sausages the richmond ones uh it goes down a treat honestly
0: yeah that was pretty much my university years we're talking about here we're in very dangerous territory because i could talk about you know sandwich filler for cheese toasties all day long but we won't um, we've got a few daft questions to go here always get the same question here in regards to side. so who would be your Swindon Town side if you had to select
2: one uh, Bender and goal, probably Dion at the back uh, midfield of probably Keshi and up front Doyle, Ami's at 4
0: uh,
2: and probably Jerry there we go. Five.
0: How big a loss was Dion this
2: year? Yeah, massive. Like, obviously, you know, there's a terrible injury and, you know, hopefully he can get back very soon, you know, for pre-season and start next season. But you could see his quality when he played at the start of the season, you know, and after that injury that he got, our form as a team dipped a little bit. But yeah, I think he was a massive miss, not only, you know, on the pitch, I think off the pitch as well, because, you know, he's, He's bubbling, he gets on with everyone and he has a laugh and he's a top lad to have around.
0: We were rubbish at Newport. We, were, we, we weren't we were good that day at all. Pitch, whatever, it just didn't. And we conceded after about four seconds or whatever it was. It wasn't a good day. But the day that Dion got injured in the home game, that did seem to impact. That It did seem just we lost our heads a little bit as a result of that injury, especially what we'd experienced with Dion previously with injuries and that does have a sort there's a human nature level isn't there to football where you know you're not robots and when your captain gets you know taken off with what is almost certainly a long-term injury that can play a part in how the game unfolds can it
2: yeah obviously you know you have to concentrate or try your hardest and you know forget what's happened but you know, like you said, as a human being, you're like worried, and you know you want to see how your mate is at the end of the day, and you know hope to see the injury isn't too bad. Unfortunately, you know it was it wasn't the greatest outcome, but thankfully, you know he's on the mend and he can get back very soon. Um, you know, and he was a miss this season, but you know hopefully he can uh, kick off from where he left off. You know this like this coming season.
0: We've got a music question here. What's on your heavy rotation at the moment? bit of
2: everything to be honest i think if you stick my phone on there and shuffle it you go from titanic to i don't know house r&b you've got all sorts on there. 90s so yeah a bit of everything
0: when we say titanic are we talking my heart will go on yeah i think so yeah yeah do you do you, <laughs> do, you do the music when you score your goal against uh crew and we'll count the orient ones you put the uh, music over it oh I don't.
2: <laughs> but, but yeah my my phone gets used um Around the house on the little, the little uh, music thing for all sorts, and it just gets stuck on shuffle.
0: I can assure you, at least one person listening will put my heart goes on over one of those strikes before the week is out. I am, I have no doubt about
2: that. <laughs> okay,
0: um, final questions here then. So, what have been your personal highlights of the season?
2: I really enjoyed Leighton Orient away. Um, that was great atmosphere from the fans. You know, we played unreal as a team. Um, I enjoyed Exeter and Crew at home, and Plymouth away. Um, so yeah, there's quite a, a good few in there that stick in in my mind. That I think I look back and think, yeah, that was you know a good day.
0: All the hits there. Did, did the family go to the London Games?
2: Yeah, there've been a few. There've been a few. It's more. It's more say so, uh, I'd say, my best mate and his father-in-law and some of my other mates, you know, go with them. There's more of them. They turn up and they really enjoy the day out.
0: Have you ever played a game where all your mates have turned up and it's been a right stinker?
2: No, I don't think so. Not. <laughs> That's that don't happen, to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, quite. And the final question is from Ash, and it is, what does it mean to you personally to win your first title? Um, I mean, at this moment in time... We don't know if we're going to be made champions. I mean, all the noise is to say that we're going to finish top, but they've been very vague, the EFL, haven't they, so far, about what that means, you know? And I fully expect there to be some sort of trophy and medals to whoever does finish champions. If it doesn't, I'll be outraged. But how... How? I mean, this, this must be, again, that term bittersweet for you because, you know, you, you spend... All you you sacrifice your childhood for football. You don't, you know, unless you're an elite top-flight footballer. These sort of events don't come along every season, and your first chance at a medal has been taken away by absolute unforeseen circumstances in a in a global pandemic. So how does it feel? Are you like, sod it? Where's my medal? I'm going to be wearing this around my neck for the summer. Or are you like, well, it's a bit of a shame, but, you know, it is what it is.
2: Well, obviously, like, we'd have loved to get back and, you know, played the last 10 games and, you know, kind of done it properly. But, you know, like I said, common sense has come into it. But you kind of miss, like, all the bits... About winning it, so like celebrating with your teammates, you know, the fans, the celebrating in the changing room. And obviously, I know nothing has been confirmed 100% yet, but it seems like we're in a bit of, yeah, we have, but in limbo, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like you want to celebrate and, you know, get the medal and see the lads, and, you know, obviously the fans want to enjoy it as well. Um, but as a kid, like it's stuff that you'd never think you'd do and you know, some people maybe not even get a promotion throughout their whole career. So to get one, you know, but unfortunately in these circumstances is, you know, hard to take. But I think, you know, people's lives lives and are more important than, you know, celebrating at the moment uh winning the league or hopefully winning the league. So, um yeah, I, d- I don't know. Hopefully we can get some a bit of clarification on it sooner rather than later so we can all, uh, you know, celebrate together, hopefully.
0: Yeah, I've got to be honest. When they announced that the, the points per game had been agreed amongst the two sides, we all went rushing, putting our little trophies with the asterisks and things like that. And then the next day, kind of like a hangover, you're kind of like, so we're not champions yet, but... A lot of our fans went to the Bradford fans and went, and a lot of them went to like Colchester because Colchester put a dig in on their social media when they beat us and things like that. And now and now there's this little bit in my mind that's just like going, oh man, if they decide
2: not to give a trophy this year, we're going to look proper stupid. I imagine they don't. Um, oh, don't. I, I think it's just natural to celebrate. You know what I mean? Like everyone's worked so hard and obviously the fans come week in, week out. Everyone wants to have a bit of, you know, fun and excitement and, you know, joy in these sort of testing and sort of down times. Yeah. So, uh, to be honest, I don't blame them trying to celebrate because, fingers crossed, hopefully we we'll get a bit of clarity, you know, in the next couple of days to, to where we stand. But, like you said, there's it, all the indications are we are going up and hopefully as champions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all the questions that we have. And I've got to say, for, on behalf of the Swindon Town fans that have watched this season and listened to it from afar, a big, big thank you to yourself and the the entire squad for what has been one of the most enjoyable campaigns that we've had for some years. And Rob, thank you very much.
2: No problem, absolute pleasure. Cheers for having me.
0: The Low Strangers is proudly sponsored by the official STFC Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was provided expertly by John Daglish. Thanks for listening.
2: Come on, Swindon. Come on, boys. It's a it's a grand old team to <laughs> play for, and it's a grand old team to see, go, go. and if you know the history, it's enough to make your heart go, okay. oh, 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 oh. we don't care what, what the Newcastle says. say, what <laughs> the hell do we care, cause we only know <laughs> that there's going to be a show, and this wind and town will be
1: that's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, Ellis Pod fans. It's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy...